Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. My name is Grace, and I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2 this morning. Um, When I'm done reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. If you guys could respond with thanks be to God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. So excited to get to celebrate uh, this Christmas Eve with you. Uh, my name is Camden. If if we haven't met, I hope I get a chance to uh, to meet you today. Uh, my wife uh, Carrie is is back teaching the kids this morning, and a little guy Evan in in the nursery. Uh, so if you if you have a few minutes after the service, I'd like to. Uh, to meet you, I see some some faces that uh, are unfamiliar with me, and some faces that look f- somewhat related to some other faces that I do know in the room. So, be great to uh, to meet you before you leave today, uh, and just welcome again to New King Church. Um, whether you've grown up in church or grown up watching Charlie Brown Christmas, you probably have some level of familiarity with this passage this morning. And there's, there's so much there, we couldn't cover it in, in one hour, but we're going to look today primarily at the role of, of worship, this good news that is given to us in this passage and the response of worship that we see. And I know that Christmas is a great cause for celebration and, and worship, but 
I know for some as well, Christmas can be, you know, a little more... Um, <laughs> we good? Well, I'll, I'll just keep going and see if they can figure it out, all right? Christmas can be a little bit nuanced for us. Um, maybe it, it's a time where uh, the loss of family members is, is present in our mind, or, or maybe just some disappointment about a plan's not working out the way we thought they would, or uh, any number of things. Maybe we're dealing with illness this year, or maybe the, the illness of someone that's close to us, and for some, Christmas can be a, a time that is, is a mixture of, of joy and celebration, but also some, some sorrow and pain as we still grapple with the effects of sin that we live with in this world. And today, I'm not going to try to hype us all up about Christmas, but my hope is that as we look at this passage and we look at why Jesus came and what he accomplished when he came, that we will be stirred up in our hearts to celebrate it and to respond in worship. So let's pray, and then we will uh, dig into this passage this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity to come together this morning, an opportunity that is only afforded to us because you did come, because you set this plan in motion so many years ago. And Lord, we pray that, that you would teach us from your word today. This is a very familiar passage, but I pray that you would open our eyes to, to truth, that you would remind us and, and stir us up again with just how wonderful this story is and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first question that I want to address with this is, is, is why do we need to worship this event happened thousands of years ago. Do, do us as, as stoic New Englanders really need to express worship for what happened all those years ago? Well, we as humans by nature are worshipers, whether we like it or not. We have been designed to worship God. And even if we choose not to worship God, we will worship something or someone Every recess of this earth has cultures where people have created gods and then worshiped them. Why? Because it is what we were made and designed to do. And even in our, our secular, postmodern, post-Christian culture that we live in now, as we have tried to move away from this idea of an all-powerful, holy God that is going to judge his creation based on his morals— we still have not moved away from worship in itself. We worship celebrities and activists and, and ideas, and many of these new ideas that we have have uh, vaulted themselves against God's word. And yet we still, we worship and celebrate that, and maybe more than anything else, we worship and celebrate ourselves in whatever it is that we want and whatever direction it is that we feel is morally right for us. But when we come to God and we worship him as we were designed to do, above all else, we are reminded of just how superior his goodness is 
and we become increasingly aware of our own sinfulness. But not just that, we also are reminded of just the pure and holy pleasure that we can enjoy in him. And we are confronted with the fact that so many of the cheap substitutes that we pursue just fall so short of the pleasure that we can have in him. But to some, it might seem like the idea of this God that wants to be worshipped is, is just kind of an outdated notion. It may seem like this, this being that is just obsessed with constant adoration, but that is not true at all. God is the source of all goodness and love and purity and justice. And when we worship him, everything else falls into place. So what is this good news that gives us this cause for celebration and worship of God? Well, before we can get to the good news, we need to see that the good news is so good because it obliterates the bad news. And what is the bad news? Well, it really shouldn't be news to us, but it's that we have a sin problem. And it's easy to see this in, in grotesque stories in, in the news, but if we're honest, we can also see this in our own lives as well. I mean, just think back to this past year. How many times have I dealt with people in anger? Have I been proud and said cruel words that hurt other people? How many times have I been covetous and ungrateful for what I have? How many times have I been lustful and, and proud? If all of my thoughts from this last year were going to be played up on these screens today, I would be deeply, deeply ashamed. And I'm probably not the only one who doesn't want that to happen to them. But in this passage, we see the good news, the really, really good news. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 in, in verse 11, this message that the angel delivers. For unto you it is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. We desperately need a Savior, and a Savior has been sent. Now, the capability of a Savior is very important. If you are a 300-pound uh, a, a lineman and you're cramping up and drowning in a pool, an eight-year-old with water wings jumping in to save you is, it's an appreciated effort, but um, it's, it's not quite going to cut it. So what about the capability of this Savior? Who is this Savior? Is it just a Hebrew baby that's being born to a poor family? No, this Savior is Christ the Lord. The name Christ is more of a New Testament term that refers to the Messiah. And the, the Jewish people were, had long been awaiting this Messiah, but they didn't know exactly who the Messiah would be. They knew the Messiah was going to be born as a man, so that would make him a man. And they hadn't really grasped the thought that he would also be God. But the angel clearly tells them, no, this Savior isn't just a baby. This Savior is also the Lord. And what is the capability of a Savior who is God? It is unlimited. That is who has come to save us. And that is what the good news flows from. There are so many names for Jesus 
And Jesus is and does so many wonderful things. But until he is our Savior, none of those other names really mean anything. I love the name of Jesus, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. But if Jesus is just God with us as a judge, that's not very comforting. But if God is with us as a Savior, that is an entirely different story. And the message that the angels bring is that a Savior has come, and the Savior is Christ the Lord. Today I want to look at this good news, three ways in which Jesus is our Savior. And then quickly we're going to see three responses of worship from this passage as well. And I think that we'll all be able to find one that we can do uh, no matter how stoic we are. The first thing I want to see is that Jesus saves us from our sin and gives us hope. God knew from the very beginning when he created mankind that mankind was going to turn against him in rebellion and reject him. And so before he even created us, he had a plan in place to save us, to redeem us back to himself. And sometimes we, we don't grasp just how good this is because we don't really see ourselves as needing a savior that desperately. You know, this time of year, the holiday season, some, some wealthy people will, you know, give money to different organizations and, and maybe pay off someone's bills. So if you could imagine that, that a billionaire decided to pay off all of the debt for everyone living in this area, all of the medical debt and, and student loans and credit cards, all of it. If you were living in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debilitating debt that you would never be able to repay, and all of that was erased, can you imagine how life-changing that would be? But if you only owed someone maybe $1,000, and you could repay it over time if you tried hard enough, it would be cool that someone paid it off for you, but it, it really wouldn't be a life-changing event. Because we don't realize our own sinfulness sometimes, we don't realize the work that Jesus did to save us from our sins. But Jesus didn't come to just make our life 10% better. He came to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness where we are bound in sins that we cannot get rid of and transfer us to the kingdom of light. In First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus came, he destroyed the works of the devil so that sin does not have to have power over us anymore and that we do not have to pay the penalty for it ourselves. We see this emphasis on Jesus coming to save us from our sins throughout the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angel comes to Joseph and tells him that Mary is, is going to deliver the Savior, the angel tells Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Zechariah is, is praying this prophecy and blessing over John the Baptist who would go before Jesus to prepare people's hearts to hear and receive Jesus, 
He says, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. In John chapter 1, when John the Baptist grows up and, and begins his ministry, and he's speaking to the crowds, and Jesus is coming towards him, he points to Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you've never experienced the forgiveness of sins, this is why Jesus came as a Savior, to save us from our sins. And if you place your faith in Christ today, faith that he came, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, but then he rose again and conquered death forever, if you'll believe that today, he will become your Savior as well. And although we still struggle with sin, even after we're saved, we have this hope that Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil, that we don't have to pay the penalty of our sin, that sin doesn't have to have power over us anymore, and that someday we will be completely removed from the effects and the presence of sin forever. So Jesus came to save us from our sin and give us hope. But Jesus also saves us from fear and gives us peace. We see this good news that is brought to the shepherds by the angels. It first is, uh, is very alarming. If you're not on a hallucinogen and an angel appears to you, it is going to be a little startling. But this command that the angel gives to not be afraid is not just a, a momentary command. It also says, fear not because of the news that I am bringing you. And what is this news? It's that if we accept Christ as our Savior, we don't ever have to fear again. There's a popular expression that is often used to refer to this passage, and that is to say that the, the angels are saying, uh, glory to God in the highest and on peace, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. And we kind of derive this, uh, this idea of a, a nebulous, all-encompassing peace that is extended to everyone in the world. But it can be a little bit misleading, because this message that the angel brought was, did not bring peace to everyone. It did not bring peace to Herod the king, who, when he heard it, was deeply troubled, and it drove him to commit mass murder in his scramble to retain power apart from God. It says that he was troubled and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. It did not bring them peace because they did not understand and accept what God was doing. But if we, through faith, accept who God is and what he is doing, it will bring an unspeakable peace to us. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And this faith is extended to those who God is pleased with. Not based on what we do, but based on what he has done in our acceptance of it in faith. When we place our faith in Christ, we surrender to the Prince of Peace, and he delivers us from all fear. But sometimes, even though that we know that, that God has delivered us from the fear of death, which is the greatest fear of all, Sometimes we still have a hard time applying that to our everyday life. 
And here I want to look for a moment at this glory of God that shone around the shepherds. This too was unsettling at first, but in the end it brought them a great peace. Now we are not going to experience the glory of God on, on this earth in the same way that they did with angels coming and, and delivering this message. But the glory of God is not just something that is meant to be seen in one moment of, of our lives. This is something that we can see in the world around us and that we should be able to see more and more of as our eyes are continually opened in faith. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, Isaiah is describing a vision of the presence of God. And there are these angels in the presence of God, the seraphim, that call to each other and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then they say this, the whole earth is filled with his glory. If the whole earth is filled with his glory, doesn't it stand to reason that we would be able to experience this glory as well? In Luke chapter 12, Jesus goes a little more in depth into this teaching. Let's just turn over there uh, really quick and, and let our eyes just fall over some of these verses. Jesus begins teaching in verse 22 about how we can be free of anxiety and fear in our life. And it's not just fear of death that he talks about. In uh, Luke chapter 12 and in verse 25, he says, And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? Well, well, no one. If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And then listen to his reasoning. Consider the lilies, how they grow. Neither, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, for Jesus' listeners, was the pinnacle of wealth and opulence. Today we would think of, I don't know, Jeff Bezos or, or some billionaire like that. And Jesus is saying, all of the glory and wealth of the richest person that you could imagine doesn't compare to the glory of God that can be seen in wildflowers. And when we open our eyes to see the glory of of God around us. This need for anxiety and fear begins to wash away. Look what he says in, in verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. We see this approach to conquering fear in the shepherds. Every year when I, I consider this story, I always come back to this question. Why the shepherds? Of everyone that God could have sent this message to and shown this, uh, this display of glory and worship, why the shepherds? And there's many reasons that are uh, great possibilities to think through, but the one that I was thinking through recently was this. The shepherds were in a very unique situation. They are out in the fields, outside of town, and the only reason that they're out there in the middle of the night is because their job is to watch these sheep. This is their livelihood. 
And if they walk away from these sheep, animals can come in, people can steal them, the sheep can be scattered, and their livelihood is gone. And the angel comes with this message and says, you can find the Savior if you go to Bethlehem right now. There's a very odd thing that has happened that will let you know that this is the right person. A baby is in a manger. That was a, a, an odd thing that they knew. If they, I see a baby in a manger, this has got to be what the angels are talking about. But no parent is going to leave their baby in a manger for very long. There's a very short period of time in which the shepherds can act on this news. And what are they going to do? Are they going to leave their sheep, their livelihood, to follow this message? Or are they going to be paralyzed in fear and miss out on this opportunity to see their Savior in person? How many times do we miss out on what God wants us to experience? We miss out on the glory of God because we are paralyzed by fear, because we are holding so tightly to our possessions and our, our expectations in life. All it takes sometimes is for me to, to read one article about how much money I should have saved up and how much should be in my retirement account for my joy to just be gone for the rest of the day. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Not that it, there's anything wrong with, with saving for retirement or, or all of these things, but where is our hope? Where is our faith? Are we so paralyzed by fear? Are we so holding on to our possessions and our expectations in life that we're missing out on the glory of God? Well, Jesus came to save us from all fear and to give us his peace. And lastly, I want to see that Jesus saves us from ourself and gives us purpose. And to see this, we're going to shift away from the shepherds for a moment and, and consider Mary. Uh, my wife and I uh, had uh, a son a little over a year ago, and, and leading up to uh, the time of his birth, we you know, went to a birthing class and uh, you know, talked to some different people who gave us some advice. And uh, one of the things that uh, people had told us is that we should have a, a birth plan and that you should think ahead of time about how you want things to unfold and uh, who you want to be in the room and what you want to have there and, and how you want everything to play out. Um, as soon as the birthing process started, all of that kind of went out the window. But, <laughs> but it was a good thought. And I don't know if there was anything similar to that in Mary's day, but I am sure that what actually happened is not what she envisioned all the way from the start, Mary did not expect to become pregnant before she was married. She gets pregnant, and, and she goes and sees her cousin, and, and her faith is, is encouraged during that time, but she comes back right after her first trimester, and her husband, Joseph, wants to divorce her. And God comes to Joseph and, and explains what's happening and tells him to take Mary as his wife, but even still, Joseph probably was not ready to take Mary as his wife. The way that the, the espousal worked at that time is these two people would be espoused to be married, 
But then the, the man would go off and would set himself up financially and prepare a place for them to live. And then when he was ready, then they would get married. But this timeline had to be sped up because of Mary's pregnancy. And then at, when Mary is nine months pregnant, she has to take this journey all the way to Bethlehem, away from her family. And as they get there and her contractions start to get worse and they frantically try to find some place for her to deliver this baby and no one will give them any room. And she ends up delivering this baby and spending the night in a stable. I don't think that was in her birth plan. And if this is a, a story about Mary living her best life and having her dream wedding and, and having a birth plan that goes just the way that she wants it to, then this story is a disaster. But if this is a story about Mary delivering the Son of God, the Savior of the world, in a way that would fulfill every single prophecy and would show that that God was willing to leave the splendor and glory of heaven to come down, not just to this earth, but to the lowest level of poverty in order to bring us the riches of his grace. Then Mary's response makes a lot more sense. And what is Mary's response? We see in, in verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Self-centeredness is directly opposed to God's will and his work in our lives. It leads some people towards narcissism, and it leads some people towards nihilism. But either way, it is destructive. We can get everything that we seemingly want in life. We can have perfect health, and yet we can still be unfulfilled. How is that? Because when we are so focused on ourselves, we become, as John Piper says, trapped in a, a prison cell of mirrors where everything is about us and nothing is fulfilling. But Jesus came to save us from ourselves and to give us a purpose. I hope that, that something from that, the good news that we've seen this morning, it gives us a reason to celebrate gives us a reason to respond in worship to what God has done. And so quickly, I, I just want to look at, at three ways that we can respond in worship that I see uh, from this passage. And the first is uh, that the angels, the angels worship God for who he is. We see that this is an, an orderly and, and truth-filled worship. I wonder how long the angels had been practicing and rehearsing this worship that they would have for the shepherds. They knew that it was coming. They anticipated it. And the angels were not recipients of this work that God was doing. This work of, of salvation that God was putting in place, it is not for the angels. And yet still the angels respond in worship to God for who he is and not just what they're going to receive. When our worship for God is, is solely based on what he does for us, it can waver 
and falter when the circumstances around us seem to change. But when we worship God for who he is, we're reminded that he's always good and that he never changes. And we can get through anything that is happening in our life and continue to worship him. Secondly, we see that the shepherds, the shepherds worship God for what he has done. And this was an expressive and an interpersonal worship. Let's look at, at these verses again. Uh, Luke chapter 2 in verse 17, 18, and 20. It says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Psalm 34 and verse 3 and 4 says, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. As the shepherds praised God for what he had done, they couldn't contain their worship and they had to go and tell other people about it. As we think about how much God has done for us, it should push us to do the same. To find other people and to, to worship God with them and to worship God in their presence so that we can draw them into worship with us. And lastly, we see that Mary worships God for what he is doing. And this is a, a quiet, contemplative, and personal worship. In Luke chapter 1, we have the, the Magnificat where Mary just explodes in this beautiful song of praise and, and worship to God. But Mary is in a very different place here in Luke chapter 2. She has just given birth to a child, and now she's sitting up probably all night with this newborn baby in a stable with animals, exhausted, full of this new responsibility that she has, and yet still she finds this time to treasure up what God is doing. This, this messy plan that Mary is stuck in at this moment, she treasures every detail of it and ponders it, meditates on it, and worships God through it all. God is still working. Every messy, frustrating, inconvenient detail in our life is part of a mosaic of God's plan that we just can't see yet, but we can still worship God, trusting in his purpose that he is still working. We are not just celebrating and, and worshiping what God did 2,000 years ago. We are celebrating and worshiping what God is still doing today. If I just think back on this past year and, and the people who have, have come to faith in Christ and the people who have, have grown and that God has, has forgiven their sins and, and God is also removing fear from their life and they're seeing, experiencing more and more of the glory of God. God is still working. I see, uh, man, I just wanted to skip the conclusion so I wouldn't get emotional, but you see young people in our church that are, are looking, seeking for God's will in their life. I see that God is still saving people from themselves and giving them purpose. 
And today, I hope that, that what we've seen, this good news from this passage and these responses of worship will help us to stir up that feeling of celebration for who God is, for what he has done, but also what he's doing, and that we would celebrate in anticipation of what he's going to do next. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord. Lord, we, we come t- before you today, and we just— we're just overwhelmed with, with who you are, with what you've done, that you would come to save us, not just to save us and leave us on our own, but that you would continually work in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would give us more faith today, that we would see more of you, of who you are. See, we would see more of your glory around us. And that no matter what we're going through today, that we would praise you and worship you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.